0: There's a study I read. It was, how can you make somebody want to work for your company without paying them more, basically? Non-cash benefits that are most important to workers. And the top one was health insurance and kind of other benefits. The second and third most were, one, kind of flexible work hours, and two, work-from-home options. Overwhelmingly so.
1: There's a revolution taking place right now.
0: Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but
1: opportunity is not.
0: Technology is creating a market for things that never had a
1: marketplace before. It's going on all around us. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today are facing a global war for talent. At the same time, talent with the skills that companies are fighting over want more flexibility around the way they work, in the way they live. Talent now has a choice, and this is pushing companies to change. We will bring together thought leaders, staffing experts, and independent workers to talk about the changing nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to attract the talent that will alter the course of their business to ensure success as the pace of technological disruption increases. Welcome to the Talent Economy. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is David Francis, a world-renowned researcher with extensive experience in covering the human cloud, the gig economy, and remote work. His groundbreaking reports have been cited in The Economist, The Guardian, Financial Times, and many other leading publications. Today, we'll talk about his latest report, Remote Work Platforms, Trends in Temp Labor Marketplaces.
0: Hi, I'm David Francis. I am uh, the uh, Research Director at Talent Tech Labs, lead a team of analysts. Our group is, is focused on talent acquisition technology missions to, to raise the state-of-the-art in recruitment, and I'm excited to be here today.
1: I'm excited to have you. I've known you, David, for a couple of years, probably three years, and you were formerly at Staffing Industry Analyst and were the head of research there doing one of the best reports uh, sort of on the gig economy and human cloud. So thank you for that work. It was, uh,
0: wasn't the head of research there, but <laughs> thank you. I did spearhead uh, some pretty important projects.
1: I would tell you that the work you did there was probably the best research uh, in the industry. I've, I've read, you know, I don't know how many reports and I'm sure you've you've seen the same, but the the oh, depth yeah. and information hey. that you were able to pull together was, was pretty impressive. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Paul. I want to get just sort of your perspective, you know, being one of the key researchers in this space. If somebody out there is listening and, you know, maybe they're a business leader or a procurement professional or an HR person, explain to me in, in layman's term, how to think of everything that's going on and transforming and disrupting right now.
0: Oh my God. Okay. Well, yeah, what, what's, that's like, oh, you might as well just ask me what's happening in the world. What's the political <laughs> environment of the earth right now? Well, I'll try and break it down. I think there's, there's a few kind of big macro trends going on. One, people are thinking about typically historically work the way it's always happened is you, you get hired into a company there's typically some kind of career progression or um, career ladder that's mapped out of that company. And you you work at a company for a number of years, you kind of continuously progress in that company and then eventually, you know, you retire. I think what's changed, there's the way that people work, the the duration of people's work and their kind of career journey has, has changed significantly. And a lot of that's just because the nature of work has changed, the nature of companies and the nature of the economy has kind of changed. People are working for companies for a lot kind of shorter duration. They're you know doing uh, gigs and things like that. So companies are thinking their their overall kind of talent strategy has changed to some degree. There's a whole kind of movement, so to speak, around people kind of taking ownership of their careers. That's had a pretty big impact on the way that companies recruit. There's a whole kind of set of companies and tools that have been built and come to maturity that help make all that possible it's essentially turned the earth kind of into a global talent pool. And so it's it's made it easier for companies to connect directly with talent and talent, you know, to market their services and find companies that are hiring. And so, you know, just from the biggest picture, there's a lot less. There's still, I mean, still the majority of work that's happening is kind of the traditional nine to five at, you know, some some company. But there's some kind of generational shifts that are happening and just candidate preference shifts towards more flexible work. And the tools are existing there. So there's this wave you know, away from the kind of industrial complex type of work towards more remote work and 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 people just taking ownership of their own careers. It's like an independent movement, I guess, if I had to put it in, in layman's terms.
1: It's interesting that you talk about it as sort of a movement because, you know, when I moved from, you know, 20 years of big tech, you know, structured employment job to being an independent remote worker, I started to realize how many remote workers. There were around me of people that were just ahead of me. You know, I thought that, oh, I'm going to do this progressive thing. And everywhere I look, there are people that have already embraced, and to your point, taking more control over where they spend their time, who they work with, what they work on versus being at the whim of, of companies.
0: That's exactly right. So, I mean, it's I guess one thing to note is, you know, I think just because people like every every you know it seems like every couple of hours I get pinged with some article about the future of work. It's important to note that this like whole idea has existed for a long time. The idea of going independent and you know working remotely and offering flexible work options and things like that like isn't necessarily a new concept. Like you can see books written about this and you know interviews done like twenty twenty five years ago about the whole idea. I think what, what kind of has changed is a couple of things. One, the rise of like Uber and kind of the, the the rest of the gig economy companies, I think that's kind of put like just some 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 focus on it. And then two, again, yeah, the, the technology just to make it all kind of possible has changed. There's, I think it's more just like an awareness, if anything, a growth in awareness, more so maybe even than a growth in the, the shift has been happening, I think, for a couple of decades. I think people are just more aware that it's actually happening now. And companies are starting to realize there's this whole population of people to either that they could tap into or they're getting demand, you know, from their internal workforce. Like, hey, like, why are we doing something like this, too?
1: This year seemed like a really big year. Not only did, you know, Fiverr and Upwork and Uber and Lyft go public, but so did Slack and Zoom. And like, there was a lot of companies that, you know, sort of represent the technology behind this new way of work, all going from, you know, yeah. VC funded into the public markets. To get capital infusion to to fuel their growth, it's just, it feels like a very game changing year as it relates to the technology that's going to to power this
0: big time. And I think people have been kind of at least the incumbent industries, so the incumbent you know kind of supply chain like staffing companies or you know uh, other other kind of intermediaries. A lot of them had been writing off the technology for, like the Upworks and the Fibers of the world kind of is uh, more or less a gimmick or you know a way to to, to do labor arbitrage or to essentially misclassify workers or something like that. I think the fact that these companies are public now, you know, the two that you just mentioned, uh, Fiverr and Upwork both have, you know, enterprise offerings where they're working with some of the biggest companies in the world. You know, I think it's hard to make the argument that these are these are a gimmick anymore. You know, it's a sign of maturity. I see is as a sign of the industry maturing and, you know, Slack and the, and, and the rest, you know, the kind of infrastructure to, to make the whole like work process possible. Yeah, that's just a, a, a sign of just how, how big this has gotten.
1: So you, you've you moved over to Talent Tech Labs. Let's just spend a minute. What is Talent Tech Labs? You know, what is the driving force behind the, the research work that you're doing right now? And then I want to get specifically into a report that you just released, which I think is really interesting to talk about because you talk about not only big companies, but some specific transformations that are going on in the staffing industry.
0: So Talent Tech Labs, they're founded, I think, five or six years ago. They actually came out of the staffing industry. So it was kind of a coalition of some of the biggest players in the space that were Trying to make sense of all the different kind of point solutions that are in the market, so we're tracking you know uh, thousands of talent acquisition technology companies, and really the original mission is just to figure out like you know what's the noise, what's real, what's not, what's going to be transformational, and what's not. And you know as they map that out, what we found is other companies are also interested in figuring this out, and they're also you know interested in using technology to try and you know either transform their business or or, or grow their business. Now we're, we're, we're a research company. We, we provide decision support and kind of advisory work in helping companies figure out what technology is going to help them grow their business and, and solve the problems that they're, that they're facing.
1: Do you see a growth, whether it was your time at SIA or now at Talent Tech Labs, are you finding more companies reaching out and trying to restructure to map what's going on sort of in the talent market?
0: Yes and no. More companies are are figuring out that they need to figure out what their, I guess, technology stack is going to be. I think more companies are realizing that they have
1: a problem. It's sort of the first step. Like, I have a problem. Yeah, I have a problem. And if we
0: want to, I think companies are starting to figure out, like, if we want to be relevant in, you know, five or 10 years, like, we've got to do something to change our business. And so companies are trying to figure out what that change actually looks like. You know, I saw that at SIA and where I'm at now.
1: Uh, let's go run down just uh, some of the articles that you put out in your report, if you don't mind. And, and you selectively chose these areas. Uh, we're going to talk about Microsoft. We're going to talk about a company that has a fully remote team that I work with, Yos and some others about portable benefits, green light, and bringing moms back to work. What led you to to frame it this way? We'll, we'll go through each of those, but but what was the approach in putting together the research report?
0: You want a tour of the sausage factory? Sure. The, uh <laughs> Or at least the sausage factory by brain. Now, I guess. big picture, the, the what I was thinking about. So, you know, one I wanted to highlight, you know, kind of interesting areas. You know, the one way to approach this would just be we get a, a bunch of companies that are, you know, that have kind of remote work platforms. We'd get like an Upwork and Fiverr and Top Talent. You know, there's hundreds of companies that are doing this, right? So, so one approach is just like we just get a bunch, profile a bunch of those companies. What I wanted to try and do is see if I can get you know people that are in different parts kind of, of the, the the ecosystem, but that are still doing something interesting or related to this. Or even in the case of TopTile, for example, you know, I mean they are a remote work platform and supplying talent. But I wanted to not just hear about like their company. I wanted to take a different angle and see, you know, see if there's kind of a different angle we could take for for each of those players if that makes sense. You know, with Microsoft, it was it, it was an example of one of the biggest companies in the world measured by market cap and revenue and employees.
1: Bill Gates just took over Bezos, I
0: think this morning. Oh, is that right? All right, thank you. you when you're ready to have coffee and, and you know celebrate, uh, just give me a call. No. <laughs> uh, so basically, but the, the but the reason for having them is you know some of the feedback I've gotten. You know, I work with a lot of the largest companies in the world that are trying to figure this out, and there's a lot of unknowns. And companies kind of want a roadmap for figuring out how to make this product or solution work in the context of you know, number one, a really big company, a lot of guardrails that need to be in place an incumbent uh, supply chain structure, you know, legal and risk being involved and all, all those almost like barriers that would typically prohibit like rolling out some kind of a new solution. What's the roadmap? Like, how do you actually make it work in that context?
1: And what did you, what did you learn from your conversation? So tell me a little bit about that, the case study that you did with the, the folks over at Microsoft and what were some of the key takeaways from that conversation?
0: Yeah, I think so. So it was with Chad and Matt. So Chad Neslinson, uh leads their procurement team you know, Matt. I, I think he's on the product side, but he's basically building a toolkit to try and give to other other companies to, that are making the same journey. I think the big learnings were were a couple of things. Number one, it took them a couple of years to put this together. Basically, the way they approached the market is they first went to. I think the, the interesting thing, and this is probably a call to action for the um, you know the incumbent industry. They first, I think, went to their MSP and asked them, like, Hey, can you help us? Can you help us figure this out? Like, we've heard about you know we're interested in using freelancers and remote workers in organization. You know, we want to pilot it. We want to try and build a program around it. Can you help us? The answer was basically like, no, we can't. And so they decided to, you know, essentially build something from scratch outside the, uh, the program that they had in place. So I think that was one big learning. And, you know, I'd, I'd advise kind of the, the industry like, you know, that's probably not the best outcome for you. So there's probably some work to be done there. The second thing I learned: the way they went to market, they kind of they ended up going. Uh, they got into a contract with Upwork, and now I think they've got a few other vendors that are involved. They basically had a kind of a cross-functional team. I think the big thing that that helped them be successful was the amount of education that they did. So, you know, typically where companies get is they can figure out the contracting part of it. They can figure out you know who's the vendor we're going to use and kind of what are the roles, but then there's a challenge in actually getting adoption kind of across the organization. Like how do you get hiring like the people that are actually gonna use the platform and hire from it? You know, how are you gonna get them up to speed? Some of the things they did, they had two conferences, I think, in a row where they got business unit heads from across the organization and discussed why they were why they were doing this, what it meant for their for their businesses, how to go to market with it, created a bunch of tools and content, like kind of how-to guides, so to speak. I think that was one of the reasons they were pretty successful. And then also, they created a toolkit, right? I mean, they they created an entire toolkit for working with and managing freelancers and remote workers. They they basically built internally some of the capabilities that you need to make it work in any business context. So I think that was that was that was pretty pretty crucial as well.
1: The reason I wanted Chad specifically, Chad being the the head of the contingent procurement.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, the reason I wanted you know the reason I didn't go to some other company, you know, the reason I wanted Microsoft specifically was because he can kind of articulate the journey so well, the roadmap that they built out. So yeah, so if you're in you know, you know, Chad's role at some other company, read that report because I think it's, it's probably the best, the, the best case study. You know, not, to, not to pat myself on the back or whatever. Really <laughs> back. Best case study that, that exists that I've seen in the market, so.
1: Let's go to the other side. You know, Adeco, the Adeco Group is a very large traditional staffing company.
0: I think they are the largest, actually, in the world.
1: Now, yeah, the largest. Marcus and team have launched Yost. And so, you know, the, the title of your analysis there is bringing staffing into the platform age. What did you learn by talking to Yost? I mean, that's a, that's a hard, and I talk to Marcus, you know, all the time. They're doing great work. I and mean, he's trying to, to radically change and, you know, modernize the largest staffing company on the planet. And so what did you learn there?
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting mission. We got to, hopefully one of your next interviews will be Marcus. I think that would be a fun, fun he's interview. He's on the list. So, so, first of all, the reason I wanted Marcus involved, number one, he's a great guy, knows the industry really well, incredibly transparent. But number two, just in terms of what they're doing, trying to change kind of an organization from within is difficult, you know, pretty much in in, in any context. In a lot of ways, the business that they're that they're trying to build over at YOS, it's kind of on the fence of being complementary and also a little bit competitive to the legacy business. Kind of what I was trying to get from from, from Marcus is like, how is it running basically a startup? inside this huge company, how does the the larger group think about these this kind of startup in terms of you know it's just overall portfolio business. No, overall I, I think that my main learnings are one, I'm impressed with the fact that I think Deco's been one of the companies and there's others too, Ronstadt and you know Allegis and other large companies have been pretty forward thinking about where kind of the the industry is headed. And so the fact that they're you know investing in solutions like Yelse and and you know Ronstadt with Twago and others, that gives me hope that the industry is still going to be here, you know, in, in 10 years from now. You know, I think the staffing industry is highly adaptable and not to say that it's easy, but the fact that they're investing in these kinds of solutions means that they can at least, they see where the industry is headed. They're trying to make the moves to kind of map their, their strategy and their, their roadmap to where, you know, the, the, uh, the world is headed.
1: Every year when I, I go to the uh, SIA conference, I ask the same question, three years in a row you know, it's all staffing industry, people there. And and, some, and how many people have hired a freelancer from the interwebs? <laughs> and the first year, like, and it was probably 400 people in the audience. The first year, like one person raised their hand. I was expecting like 50 or 60% because, you know, I was excited about freelancing. And the next year, I think 10 people. And then this year, I think we had 30 people raise their hand. So it's just kind of my litmus test or people <laughs> starting to it's a very informal study. It would not pass any of your research analysts, you know, professional.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, it wouldn't but, uh, pass statistical validation, sure. <laughs> right,
1: you wouldn't hire me. But it's sort of my test. And I, and I think to your point was, I'm starting to see more people in the staffing space and, and companies just start understanding it. And I think the, the first thing is understanding you have a problem. The second part is, what's the first step, you know, after you realize you have a problem? And I always encourage Um, whether it's staffing companies or big companies, like just start a pilot or start somewhere.
0: Well, the third question is, I mean, on top of that, it's one thing to realize it, but then the third thing is like, what actually, like, what do you do, right? Do you try and build some global marketplace and go, you know, head to head with Upwork? You go and try and buy some, buy a company. Do you try and just, you know, build some talent pooling capabilities? It's one thing to realize there's a problem. And then the second thing is like, what's actually the, the strategy and the mission? You know, once you know, then what do you do, right?
1: I always say, you know, every company in every industry needs a, a gig economy strategy, and people digest that in different ways. You know, you could be a hospital and you need a telework strategy. You could be Ikea and you need a TaskRabbit strategy. You could be Amazon. And how many different ways does Amazon implement, you know, on-demand talent strategies across everything they do? It's just kind of in their DNA. You had a conversation with the folks over at TopTal. What did you learn? I mean, you know, I, I just started working uh, with TopTal over the past couple of, of months and it's been fundamentally different than any way I've worked because I've never worked for a fully distributed company. Everybody's sort of at the same page. Like nobody has an office. There is no like water cooler where everybody else is. and I mean, we've talked about this before. There is no water. Like I don't feel left out because everybody's left out. <laughs> you know, everybody's kind of distributed and it's this really interesting way of working that I think is... I believe, is, is very much the future. But what did you learn in that conversation?
0: It's funny, In, in just ahead of this, I was looking at a, um, there's a GitHub repo. There's basically an, an article about, there's a, there's a list of all the companies that are majority remote, and it's a growing list. And there's some pretty big companies in there. Uh, Wikimedia Foundation, for example, is on there. I think with TopTile, so the, the reason I was impressed with them, so, you know, there's a lot of companies that do kind of remote as, as maybe not an afterthought, but it's not necessarily like, they're not 100% distributed toptal was one of the first companies that you know I interacted with that was that had kind of been built from the ground up and still operates to this day 100 remote with a hundred percent distributed team or distributed team however you know pick your uh, tomato tomato basically what I wanted to figure out when I was you know asking tasso about kind of how he built this business number one is why and then how did you do it because you know if, if, if they can do it and now you know it's like a 200 plus million dollar you know, revenue company, you know hundreds and hundreds of employees. If they can do it, other companies can do it too. So it's basically trying to, to, to get a roadmap for running an organization that's, that's fully distributed. I think a couple of interesting learnings there one, that they built their own kind of internal ATS CRM system. So you know, I think they saw that as kind of a core competitive advantage. They, they've kind of always viewed themselves as a, as a tech company. They, they offer a little bit more services than other kind of pure platforms like Upwork or Fiverr. But because of kind of the tools that they built internally, you know, that was kind of a big differentiator for them. And I, I think that's true. They do have a process for, you know, I think getting, um, finding the top talent. It seems to be working. Their growth rates are kind of indicative of that. So, so that, was, that was a big learning.
1: It's amazing working with the team over at Top Tal. Because, you know, you'd be doing some work in a Slack channel and all of a sudden the CEO pops in there and, and just starts jamming and, and talking. And <laughs> it, it, you know, yeah. I, I can't even imagine, you know, my time in, in big tech of a vice president just sort of jumping in a channel and starting to talk. And, you know,
0: I think the second thing is this kind of interesting is that thinking about how how like other companies might do this in some ways. I think a learning for me was it's almost easier if you kind of design from the ground up to be remote first than it is trying to go in and change a company to become remote. Number one, you've got buy-in kind of from everybody, like you say. So one of the challenges, my, my, my personal story, I'm also technically remote working now. Our company's headquartered over in New York. I opened our, our West Coast office, but currently I'm the only person in that, that office.
1: <laughs> is there a literal office or is the a office, the, yeah. the flag is like flying above your house?
0: <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a co-working space over in, uh, in Palo Alto. Oh, there you go. But I do work from home a bit, so that's that's I guess our third office. But but so the main point is, I was kind of the guinea pig for you know hiring remotely, right, or having having somebody that's not part of the, the, the main HQ. And you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a challenge. There were some learnings in terms of you know everybody else is in kind of one location, and so as a remote worker myself, like I've got to be a little bit more proactive about like how I how I interact with them, you know, how I get information. So you know, on both kind of both sides, there was there was some learning there. Whereas I think in a case where, you know, the whole company is, is remote or, you know, maybe there's like a, a mandated remote work option, everybody's more or less on the same page. So it makes it a little bit easier to, to manage in that sense, where I think if, if you've got kind of a mix or the hybrid where, you know, most of the teams on site, but you've got a few remote workers, you know, you're going to have to be a lot more proactive in terms of how you engage those people, make them feel like they're part of the team, how you share information both ways and how you interact.
1: One of the things that you know, Tasso and, and a lot of other people who run fully distributed teams believe in radical transparency And it, you know, it sounds like a, a word that's easy, but it, it's at the core of being able to run a remote team. Like you, you have to be transparent about everything. It's a refreshing way to work because uh, I think it's much more efficient <laughs> in a lot of ways than, you know, the idea of holding on to information because somehow information is power and, and that sort of dynamic that right. happens.
0: That's exa- in- yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly right there's a candidates want to do this. So I was just looking up, there's a um, study I read. It was basically like, what are the non-cash? Like, how can you make somebody want to work for your company without paying them more, basically? Non-cash benefits that are most important to workers. And the top one was health insurance and kind of other benefits. But technically, that's, that's still, I consider that part of compensation, right? Because if your employer is not paying for your health insurance, you're going to pay for that somehow, right? So, you know, what health insurance basically means is, can you pay more for, for, for my benefits, the second and third most were one, kind of flexible work hours and two, work from home options, overwhelmingly so. So, you know, you know, workers want that, right? If you want to offer a non-cash benefit to your workers, that's going to have like the highest impact. This is the way
1: to do it. And it just sounds like such an easy thing to lean into, you know, because every study that's done, in fact, another one came out today that I read that said, you know, people are willing to take a, a pay cut to get flexibility and, and do some of those things. And as someone who took a pay cut to get the flexibility and spend, you know, time working differently, following my passion around this space, spending time with my, my kids and my, my father, and there's validity to it. It's not only not pay more, you know, people are willing to, to actually take less money to have more freedom in time.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Or, I mean, the other thing too, it's not just take less money, but it's, there, there's kind of this dynamic of, so the cost of living here in the Bay Area, for example, you know, is I think well-documented, it's not very cheap to live here.
1: No, it's insane. Since it's more than not not a little cheap.
0: Yeah, kind of by definition, right? If you're if you're only hiring in this area, then just to meet the basic cost of living, you're going to have to pay a certain amount, right? But you know, if you if you kind of can hire remotely, you know, you don't even need to leave the country. You can hire in you know you can hire Wisconsin or Iowa or you know Texas or pretty much anywhere is cheaper than here, right? So the, the whole point is you don't necessarily even need to pay people less. You can still pay people probably more than they're making. In their local market, but because that local market's not as expensive as the market that maybe your headquarters is at, you still see cost savings. It's kind of a net win win for everybody. Redistributing economic opportunity, as uh, Stefan would probably say,
1: <laughs> he and I uh, agree with with that idea. One, the, I just want to cover one of the last. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of more. I again, I encourage everybody to to pick up the uh, the report. It's called uh, Remote Work Platforms: Trends in Temp Labor market, Marketplaces. But the last one I want to cover, and you talked a little bit about it, you know, the other day when we were chatting, a lot of these companies have, you know, a mission behind them. They're not just a staffing company that says, hey, I'll, you know, I can find you somebody to do this work. When you talk to people that are passionate about remote work or on-demand work or distributed teams, they're evangelists for this idea.
0: I think that's the big difference to, before you even get into whatever question you're and ask that's just from you know my gut sense on this quote unquote movement or whatever, when I talk to to, to companies, usually nobody really gets excited about like, oh, you know, we're we're doing with this staffing company or this MSP or this VMS. There's like no excitement. But usually, you know, when, and whenever I've talked to somebody that's tried this remote work platform model, they become evangelists. Like it's crazy like how excited and jazzed up people get about this, even inside of like big companies, right? You're the living example of it, Paul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I look, I I left a, I left a big company because I believe in this way of working and I wanted to continue to evangelize and, and have a like create a space to have a conversation about this. I mean, did you use Uber once and then say, oh, that's no good. I'm going to go call a taxi.
0: No, no, no. I might not be the perfect use case. Right. Because I'm more or less jaded uh, at this point on, on you know pretty much any technology, but, uh, I don't think anybody has had that.
1: No. Well, okay. Did you get your first iPhone and then go back to the StarTAC flip phone?
0: No, 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 no. That's a perfect point. No.
1: I think it's one of those things that, you know, I always tell folks like, look, you should, you should at least try it. And the way technology that fundamentally changes things work, like you, you put the technology in your hand, you're like, wow, that's, that's how it's supposed to work. Like I'm supposed to tell Alexa to, to play music for me and it plays not like go and, to Napster, download a bunch of stuff, re-tag it, like you know, that world. <laughs> the funniest, or not the
0: funniest, but it's interesting to see people like when they first, like the moment of clarity, the, the moment of realization, when they, when they first kind of, when it clicks and they get it, how this works, just to see that excitement kind of being born. is
1: pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of the, the things I loved about all the work that I do. It's amazing. And so I always encourage people to, you know, find, find the platform that works for you, you know push yourself to work differently because reskilling yourself and disrupting yourself is actually going to be one of the most critical things going forward. I I do want to talk about one more thing from the case study. You know, we were talking about mission-driven companies and you talked to a platform that's working to bring moms back to work.
0: Yeah, the Mom Project. So run by um, a woman named Allison Robinson. Her kind of origin story was that, you know, she was a mom herself. I think before she was at Johnson & Johnson or I think it was Johnson & Johnson. Running product there, something like that, and she kind of had this epiphany where she was reading an article about how difficult it is to kind of re-enter the workforce after you had a kid, and she's basically reading that article like as she was nursing her newborn. So she's like, "Well, this is a problem," and you know, like any kind of uh, entrepreneur said, "Well, if there's a problem. I can I can go out and fix it." So she built a marketplace to try and connect, you know, typically larger corporates to uh, professional moms that are looking to re-enter the workforce. Obviously, the the there's the, the there's the business behind it, but you know what I get excited about companies that kind of serve a bigger purpose. I don't know of another company that that you know has a better purpose than putting, um, at least in this space, than than putting moms back to work. So you know, I was per- personally kind of moved by it. You know, when I talked to other women and other moms specifically, like that, just that that whole message and that that mission resonated very powerfully as well. So. You know, I wanted to give, give her a platform to, to be able to tell that story.
1: You know, I, I have a network that I, probably the past three years of, of freelancers that I've worked with on a bunch of different projects. And so, you know, you kind of build this network of people that you, you work with. Yep. And I, one day I was just writing a list down, you know, saying, hey, let me just write my, my list of people down. And, you know, do I have all the areas covered? And 65% of my network was women. And I didn't have like a diversity program. When I looked at that list, it was really interesting on how many of those freelancers from all over the United States were stay-at-home moms, you know, working in this way to get reengaged in in work. I didn't do it deliberately. I had just, you know, landed on this network of people that were amazing, you know, content writers and video producers and social media people, just all sorts of people. And so
0: it's funny too, because there's this, you know, in talent acquisition, we work with a lot of talent acquisition people, departments at big companies in Typically if you talk to them about like what's your biggest strategic priority, like number 1, 2 and 3 is diversity and inclusion. So every company's trying to figure that out. And at the same time it's like, well, you know, the way to make the way to, you know, get more women and moms in the door is to give them a structure that's actually going to work with them being a woman and a mom. So why not make, you know, remote work options more more available? Seems
1: like common sense.
0: Like you said, it just happened organically because the ten, the the kinds of people that tend to gravitate towards this is people where work-life balance is important.
1: Yeah, our flexibility.
0: I guess the other thing is that the, the, the kind of caliber, I think the special spin with the Mom Project, with Alex's project is that, you know, the caliber of women that they got on there is exceptional. They're like the, you know, the top towel for, for women professionals, right? Like women with MBAs, 10 years of experience, BP level women, it just happens that, you know, biologically they had this thing happen that kind of, you know, put a, put a big wrench in their, their career for a period of time.
1: Thank you for walking me through uh, some of those case studies. Again, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. I recommend everybody checking it out. I think your your move from the, the Human Cloud Report to these specific examples are, are making it a lot more actionable for people to understand how to get started or scenarios that are relevant that can inspire and educate. And so I do recommend everybody uh, check that out. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. It's called uh, the rapid fire question section. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You haven't seen these questions. And one of the things that I did on my old show is I gave everybody the ability to ask me two questions at the end. So you don't have to, but if, if you'd like to ask me two questions at the end, you can do that. You ready? Ready. Let's do it. What's one thing about you that's not in your LinkedIn profile? Ooh, it's
0: like two, two truths and a lie. How about, uh, have you ever played the game Rock Band 2? No. Okay. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a game called Rock Band 2. It's one of those things where you kind of play along to, to different music or whatnot. Yeah, and I think there's probably a whole franchise on it now. Back when I was a, a young pup, I was one of the people that helped record. I was, I was one of the extras cheering in the background and
1: singing along. That's awesome. Yeah. You should, you should actually put that on your LinkedIn profile.
0: On my LinkedIn profile? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. update today.
1: <laughs> if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why?
0: Do they have to still be alive? Can it be like historical nope. figures? Historical figures. Can it be in the future?
1: It can be no, in the future.
0: It can be in the future. <laughs> it can be in the future. Who is the guy?
1: You got to be so a little more specific.
0: Yeah. Who, the, who, who's the guy when Jesus was on trial, the Roman who like heard the whole thing? I would be that guy. Pontius Pilate. That's who I would be. I'd be Pontius Pilate. I wouldn't want to be Jesus because Jesus would be tortured and I'm, I'm not into pain. I still would like to, you know, or maybe one of the, 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 the bystanders, I would just like to be in that time And just seeing like what actually happened, that's probably what I would do.
1: That's a really interesting answer. What book or movie has inspired you the most over the past year?
0: Book probably, well, I don't know. I haven't read this over the past year, but I read quite a bit of fiction, actually. I'm more moved by fiction than I am by nonfiction typically. Best one's probably Color Purple. It's the only book that's made me cry. So I like physically cried when I read it. That's a solid answer. I can tell you what book underwhelmed me the most. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> that's not what you asked. I, that that one comes to mind more easily it was a Homo sapiens, I think, right? Or sapiens? Yeah, I tried to read that too. So the thing about my my, my my note on it, it wasn't like bad, but it didn't. You probably could have summed up a whole book in like a couple of pages. I, I felt like there wasn't really anything new that was added to the conversation.
1: I tried. I did, I didn't get all the way through it, to be honest. <laughs> okay. What is better, being radically curious or having great attention to detail?
0: I'd say radically curious.
1: That's that's sort of a a layup that I, I end with. Okay. Now, now's your opportunity to, to ask me uh, any two questions, if you'd like. Where's the staffing industry in 10 years? I think you'll start to see some consolidation with some of the smaller players. I have this debate all the time of, you know, you look at a Deco and, and with the work uh, the Yoast is doing, you know, can they disrupt themselves? The famous example is, is Amazon, right? Which will disrupt itself in, in 10 minutes, if it believes it, it's future proofing itself. And so I think that you'll continue to see growth uh, in the online platforms like TopTal and Upwork and BTG and Second Shift and, you know, and the Mom Project. And, and I think you'll start seeing more robust growth. And I think that's going to accelerate as more pressure is put on companies to, to get top talent. You know, millennials start getting into management positions where they're saying, hey, look, I just want to work in this different way and, and companies want to retain them. And so they'll start to put pressure on it. And so I think we, you know, five to 10 years, the trend just continues to accelerate from a you know, growth perspective.
0: All right, here you go. Here's non-remote uh, work platform related. 10 years from now, is it still Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and uh, Facebook? Or who are, the, who are the largest tech companies 10 years from now?
1: Uh, that's, that's like impossible. <laughs> I think that, that Amazon will, will continue to be a, a big player. I, I think the, the real question is, in 10 years, does the government step in and try to break up some of these big companies that that have so much data and so much influence and power over our, our everyday lives.
0: Are, are you in favor of breaking
1: up? I think it's a a conversation that should be had. I think that having a conversation about how much power and influence companies like Facebook have and, and Amazon have is a conversation worth having. And I think, you know, you should put the data on the table and, and we should have a, a honest, open conversation in the country. And so I, I don't have a specific opinion, but I I think it's a conversation worth having because I, I don't think we understand how much we're being influenced by big tech. Sure. That's interesting. Thanks a lot for uh, the conversation, Jay. Really enjoyed it. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, to reach out?
0: You can email me, David at talentechlabs.com, or you can, uh, you can help me try and build a Twitter, Twitter following. You can be one of my very few Twitter followers. So follow me at uh, David J. Francis. And Jay's J A Y.
1: And and we'll put all of that on the show notes. Thanks again, David. And uh, we'll we'll talk again soon. I think uh, when your next report comes out, we'll get you back on the show.
0: No, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Paul. Cheers. Take
1: care. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. To learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversations, go to www.staffing.com, where you can find insights from experts, sign up for our monthly newsletter, get access to the best industry research on the web. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy.